This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. It's episode 93 of the Equalizer podcast as we get ourselves about a week removed from the Coaches Convention and NWSL draft. We've also got a U.S. national team roster to discuss. My name is Dan Lawletta. I've got Chelsea Bush and John Halloran with me. Chelsea and John, thanks for taking time out of your weekend as usual. We were all in Baltimore. John, I think you were there. You kind of blew in and blew out real quickly. Um, yep. But, uh, John, as we get, you know, now a week out, um, you were, again, you were really pretty much came in for the day and were gone. But what uh, what stands out to you a week after the fact? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is is something I actually tweeted uh, right before the draft, which is that uh, it's just an exciting moment, um, you know, in the season uh, for the NWSL. It's still a marquee event it uh you know unlike the the major league soccer draft which is basically uh, dead or pretty close to it um you know we're still at a point where this is a big day where we're seeing big trades we saw a national team player move and it's still one of those things where people get excited to go to it to watch it there's an anticipation that the moves made on that day are going to change the fortunes or at least have an impact on changing the fortunes of anybody's team. And uh, it's just fun to be a part of it. Chelsea, what about you? Yeah, I, I think to an extent I echo what John says. It's still, you know, it's still where the majority of the players, at least the American players who are entering the NWSL are being funneled. Um, I, I think that we'll continue to maybe see players, you know, take a different route. I'm looking forward to, you know, like homegrown rules and then, academies and and college not necessarily as much as I'm in support of players going to college maybe that not being like kind of the only way um but yeah it, it was it was good and we you know three of us were kind of having a discussion off air about how it drafts at the t- time it's so hard to judge because you'll look back on them months or even years later and it just it turned out the players turned out vastly different than what maybe the their order or the ranking you know would indicate so it's kind of hard to judge right now but as an event, I think I think it was a good time. The NWSL doesn't have enough events, and it, it gets a lot of attention. It brings a lot of people in, and, and I think it's good for that. Yeah, I mean, the, I've always said the emotion in the room, especially when you have more players there, is second to none because for pretty much everybody that gets drafted, that is the pinnacle of their soccer career to that moment. And maybe you come back and you become a great player and make the national team. Maybe you never get in the league at all, but you still have that moment where you got drafted and you get to go up and make your little speech. And part of the reason it's such a big event is because the convention itself is a huge event. But I'm fairly impressed with the NWSL slice of that convention because it really is just huge. And I was telling Chelsea while we were in Baltimore, like I, I see people 
and I think that person looks really familiar. And I think it's just because I see them at the convention every year. I have no idea who they are, but I see the same people every year. But I'm I'm kind of impressed that there is a pretty decent chunk of that convention that kind of belongs to the NWSL and the women's game. It needs to be bigger, obviously, but I, I'm fairly impressed with how that's evolved over the years. Well, yeah, especially since the Super Draft isn't there anymore. It, it's yeah. kind of... And I, but also, you know, for those people who've never been to the convention or who've only gone to the draft, Dandre Russell has its hands in so many other things, um, whether it's, it's coaches or players doing panels or doing, you know, hands-on sessions. Um, you, you have, you know, broadcasters there, you have podcasts, and we're not, we're not the only one. We were there, but we were not the only people doing NWSL-focused podcasts. So it's pretty cool to see, you know, going on three, four days in a row, seeing NWSL faces pop up and, and really being known for being in or associated with the NWSL. And Chelsea, did you wind up in the Jill Ellis talk? I, I went to one of them, yes. The there one, were Because we were sitting down on Podcast Row and like a thousand people were gathered yes. outside this room above us. Um, I know we wrote about that a little bit on the site, but how was how was that? It was good. She she's incredibly more relaxed than I ever saw her in a press <laughs> conference. Um, that weight has definitely been taking off her shoulders. Uh, swears a little bit more than she ever did in that press conference, which I think some press conferences may have warranted it more than she, than there was. But no, she she it was good. I, I think we got a very good insight into Jill Ellis as a coach. And while I don't necessarily think it changed my opinion of her as a coach, I think it gave me and anyone else watching a good idea of kind of just how she went about her decisions and maybe the, the whys behind some of the decisions that we didn't necessarily get to see at the time, not that she owes anyone an explanation for why she made some choices, but, you know, going into, into things like, you know, part of the reason that she chose Sam Lewis over anyone else, and she wouldn't say who those others were. She had them blacked out on this chart she showed us. Um, but one of the reasons she was, you know, played her so much in the World Cup was because of her percentage of her passes that were going forward. And so things like that that I, I thought were really interesting. That makes me feel good because I kind of feel the same way about Sam Mewis, and I don't have fancy charts, so that makes at least that one thing makes me feel like I know what I'm talking about. You guys think we'll see her coach again? Yes. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. It's funny she uh, she did a, a quick little question and answer session at the end, and someone said, "Would you ever consider coaching the men's national team?" And she said, "Did you say a men's national team? Yes, I would consider coaching a." Men's national team. So, I, I I mean, I think as far as the women's game go, or almost any any team really, I think as far as national team go, the U.S. is kind of the pinnacle. But I I think we'll see her again somewhere. Maybe maybe she'll go back to the college realm or, or something. But, you know, I think we'll see her take some time. But she's not she's not old. She's still got a lot left in her. Um, I think we'll see her again. John, you laugh. It's I. The temptation to to stay out once you've gone out on top is incredibly strong. I think especially in the women's game, too, because there's not enough, like, other jobs at your disposal. Because I don't think any of the big European teams would necessarily come, and, and I guess she's not an American coach. She's tech, she's from England. So I don't know. So I don't know why, actually. I don't know if... If you're a user as an American coach or an English coach, I don't know. It, it feel I, th- I kind of think you're right. Like it feels like, where do you go from here? Like she's clearly made. She made it clear she's not making the John Herdman move and going from the women's team to the men's team. And I think that would be a disaster if she tried it anyway. But uh, I mean, I would love to see her coach because I would love to dissect another job for her. But I, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. It would be really interesting, though. All right. A couple more things. We talked about this a little bit off the air, but we had said that the draft was unusual because you had, you know, a lot of people thought Macario might come out, and she didn't. Uh, a lot of people thought Fleming, well, no one really thought Fleming would come out, but she was eligible too, didn't. And then the Sophia Smith happened a week or so beforehand. And then just in the days right prior to the draft was Ashley Sanchez. I'm surprised that there are underclassmen declaring for the draft. In You know, when Andy Sullivan did it, it sorry, Tierna Davidson did it, it was more of she's probably going to be on the World Cup team, even though she didn't wind up getting subsidized. She made a pretty good chunk of change from being in the World Cup. I just don't feel like there's enough money in the women's game at this point. To, you know, Ashley Sanchez is going to be making, what, $30,000, and she traded in a scholarship that's probably worth four times that a year that she can't get back anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, you think back to when you're, you know, 18, 19, 20. I don't necessarily think that, that you're looking at your scholarship in terms of, wow, this is worth X number of dollars per year, especially if you've always had that scholarship and you've never paid that giant tuition bill. Um, I was a I was a scholarship kid in my undergrad years, and let me tell you, graduate school hit me over the head because I wasn't used to it. And so I think there's there's part of that. And now obviously they have people advising them, their parents and and things like that. And also when you're coming out of college, I, I think thirty thousand seems like a lot more than it is. But right, well, and you're not making the scholarship money. You're making nothing. Exactly, exactly. And we it's well known that, that college athletes don't really have the time to make their own money. They don't have the time to have, you know, a part-time job like any other college student. And I don't know that they're even allowed to. I think they're not allowed to work on campus. Maybe. I, I, I was not a scholarship. scholarship based on a, any sort of athletic merit, let me tell you. <laughs> I ended in high school. Um, so I think there's that. I think Sanchez is different, is, is an interesting case versus – I think that Sophia Smith obviously still has her foot in the U.S. door a little bit more than than Ashley said. You know, she's not she's not in there. She didn't make the qualifying roster, but I think she can be confident. Maybe there's there's a future there. She's she's gotten enough attention and recent attention from the team. Sanchez, she she's very good. She's been looked at by the senior team as well. But I think that's just a little bit different of a situation. And I guess also that you are supposed to believe that you are good enough. To make it big time at this point, and who knows, you know what? Maybe maybe the allocation money um, convinced some of these players that there's going to be more money in the pot for them if they do come out. Yeah, maybe uh, that's. Yeah, I don't. If we don't, I mean, I don't think anybody knows what the allocation money is going to be doing in the future. We don't even know what it's doing now. All right, well, let's get to that, <laughs> John. I know you. I know you've been all over the story, John. Um, you know, I was sitting there and I, I was under the weather for about a week before the draft. So I was a little bit hazy on what was going on. And I sat there and listened to Arnim Whistler, who I guess has been like, he's the Red Stars owner. I guess he's been nominated as the, uh, spokesman for the ownership now that Amanda Duffy's on her way out the door next month. And he said, the reason, one of the reasons we don't, give the numbers out when we have allocation money in a trade is that it's not just for salaries. It can be used for different team things. And I'm thinking to myself, right, I've been in a haze here for the last week. Did I miss anything? But apparently I didn't. So that is either a blatant, they blatantly left something out when they originally announced it, or they've already changed the rules regarding allocation. I mean, what did you do? 
Yeah, because the original release, if you were to, and I went back and read it because I thought maybe I, maybe I just missed it. Maybe it was down there at the bottom and, you know, people were so focused on the salaries, maybe I missed it. But I went back and I reread the entire thing and it was all about salaries. It was all about where can this money be used? There were, I think, four different qualifications in terms of national team caps or veteran experience or did you win best 11 awards? that players could qualify for this money on. And then, of course, just like you, I, I think all of us in that room were surprised when when Arnhem had talked about how that money could be used for other things. And the thing that I couldn't figure out, that I couldn't add two and two together on, is why was Chicago trading for all this money when that same allocation or that same uh, period where the, the salaries were restructured had announced that the caps on housing and the caps on cars were now gone. So you didn't need a theoretical permission to spend more money. And what really tipped it was when uh, the general manager for the Utah Royals, Stephanie Lee, uh, told us that it was an actual exchange of cash. So it wasn't the permission to spend more money on salaries or whatever, or even facilities, uh, it's actually a transfer of cash. So in those trades that Chicago made, both in the week leading up to with Utah and then during the draft, they were receiving cash for what they were trading away. So does I, that – go ahead. Well, I think that's where everybody kind of paused for a second and said, wait, what? Because – and, and and some of our colleagues said this, it almost seemed like a bait and switch where there was this assumption that this was now going to be some extra money, which was going to be directed towards high performing players to help them out, to reward them. I think, of course, we all know that at least the origins of this rule were kind of pushed through in this in this attempt to, to keep Sam Kerr in the league. But now all of a sudden we're finding out, wait a minute, you can have these owners who maybe are on the, uh, for lack of a better word, the poorer end of the spectrum, who are now trading away assets with value for just cash that they could be using to simply keep themselves afloat. And that, again, knowing the history of women's soccer in this country, that has to just a little bit put that, that tinge in the back of your neck to make you wonder you know, does that possibility now exist where you're going to see owners who are struggling to keep, you know, their franchise afloat, perhaps making moves that aren't in their best interest? And I was very clear in my piece. I don't necessarily think that this applies to Chicago because Chicago's draft was rated very highly by people that I respect. They made some moves, which certainly seem in the long term interest of the team by trading again, for, for 2021 draft picks, which people seem to think are, are very valuable at this point, especially with expansion coming along. And Rory Dames, the head coach, was very happy with the picks that he made. But just the possibility that an owner, like let's say the Breakers in that last year, when and everybody remembers this, that they, they drafted even though they were going to fold and they couldn't trade. Yeah. And it, right? It was this bizarro yeah, was world. Not a good scene that day. Imagine that the decision for them to not fold was still 24 hours off. Could you have seen them in that room, you know, drafting Rose Lavelle and then immediately trading her for 
$200,000 in allocation money just to keep the, the franchise afloat. And yeah. that's not a good situation. And that right, definitely could have happened. Right, let's leave it there. I've got a follow-up uh, point or two to make uh, when we get back for the second segment. This is episode 93 of the Equalizer podcast. Middle segment of three on the Equalizer podcast uh, with a reminder to check us out online at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. That's us on the web. And also a reminder to please rate and review the podcast. The better ratings and reviews we get from you, the more great content we can bring your way. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Dan, Chelsea, and John. And John, to follow up on what you had said about owners basically selling players to, for allocation money and possibly using it to, quote, keep afloat. Isn't that the model that we've seen all across sports and even in European soccer leagues? Like in the uh, promotion relegation leagues, you get a lot of big teams. They spend a little bit of money. That's enough to get put up into the top flight. Then they know they're going to get demolished in the top flight, but they get enough TV <laughs> money and other revenue that they can then use that to spend to try to win again when they get one notch down. Now, I'm not saying we want that model, but I mean, isn't there some validity to that if it, if it, they're going to be transparent about it, or do you just not want that at all? No, I think that's fine. In fact, the whole second half of the, the piece that I wrote this past week was about there are ways in which this can be good business. I think it does. And actually, um, Stephanie Lee mentioned this. She said we needed something to get things moving. So let, let's say you are sky blue and you want to conduct a trade with Orlando, but you can't come to an agreement on what assets are equal in value to make that trade happen. Now you can just exchange cash for that asset. And if you can come to an agreement on how much that asset is worth, I think that kind of lubricates the process a little bit uh, in terms of transfers happening. And as you mentioned, that's how the, the rest of the world of football works throughout the world. You know, is is you sign people who are either out of contract or you pay a transfer fee. So I, I do think that's that's part of it. And I also wanted to point out um, that there's there are we can look beyond the salary part of this because the players now are being given a housing allocation for the entirety of the year. So housing has to be provided to them, which is of course I think for most of us our number one expense in any given month is what we're paying on our mortgage or our rent. Yep. Um, so that's not in, in a small thing, um, but an owner can now use that money to provide better housing if they didn't have the funds. Again, they don't need the theoretical permission to do so, but let's just assume, again, you're, you're dealing with an owner who maybe doesn't have a lot of money. They can use that extra money to improve the housing for their players. They can bring in maybe more staff maybe the the team needs another trainer to to help keep players healthy during the year maybe they need more therapy equipment maybe they need to upgrade the practice facilities so there are quality of life issues as well beyond what you were mentioning in terms of the the transfer process so there are positives for this i just think the way it was presented felt like a bait and switch to a lot of fans and i think again knowing the history of women's soccer in this country there's just that moment of hesitation when you start to think out the the potential negative uh, or darker ways that this could end up being used. Now we got another interesting little note a couple days ago and haven't had time to look into it yet, but the dash 
sign Aaron Simon, apparently on a transfer fee from West Ham United, I think, in England. And that was using allocation money. The Dash have not been in any trades. I don't believe that they've acquired allocation money. So why do we think they needed allocation money to give a transfer fee to Aaron Simon? Which, let's be honest, it can't be that. I hope it wasn't that much. See, silence, because nobody knows the well, answer. I mean, but also, like, are they are they not? I mean, we know they used some to, to extend Rachel Daly's contract, but maybe they're not anticipating using Well, that's I mean, fine. I'm just it, curious. It kinda, I guess for me, it's like, what is it? Just is it two separate accounts? You've got your operating account and your your allocation money account. Does it really matter which? At the end of the day, they kind of are sounding like the same thing. So does right. it matter which so, one it comes from? No, but I'm just. I, that's why it just surprised me why they came out and said we're using allocation money on this transfer fee, unless that's considered part of salary and they have to go in there if they're going to go and Maybe. exceed I mean, some number. I'm all for. The the more transparency we get in WSL, the better. I agree, but I might be also willing to go with the idea that if you're going to use this money for team expenses, that maybe we don't need to know how much you're putting towards it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I also, I mean, I also think you know the the first trade was the Red Stars traded the eight pick to Utah for allocation money, and it was reported as sixty thousand dollars. Now I was told that the Numbers that are out there are, quote, a little low. That doesn't mean that everyone is a little low. But isn't $60,000 for the eight pick? That seems crazy to me. That the well, Red Stars I mean, would give Utah, uh, the Utah would give the Red Stars $60,000 for that pick. Especially when you consider if, I don't even remember who went at, at the eight pick, but. Cesara King. Okay, she's not going to be making $60,000 playing for the Royals if she makes the roster. That's, no. to me, what's what's funny about it. And she's probably years away from even qualifying to make that much money. You know, though, that's the the flip side of that is that it, what if if she becomes a ten year player in the league? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, you can't look at it as just a one because the Red Stars aren't going to get sixty thousand dollars every year she's in the league. Right. They they traded essentially the pick that became that asset. If that asset has a very long term value, then on Chicago's side they got to turn that. $60,000 into an equivalent value or more to make it work out in their favor. Yeah. This is also, uh, well, go ahead. No, you. I was going to say, this is also us assuming that trades are always equally balanced on both sides, which we know they're, they're not. Maybe just depending on how badly Utah wanted that, that, um, that pick. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's definitely true. Um, it just seems like a lot of, it seems like a high value to me. And, it, yeah, you know what, maybe the coaches have thought about this more than we have and they've got some sort of value play going forward. And some other uh, people and other teams basically say, you know, I asked them, you know, how did you guys figure out, like, have you been talking amongst yourselves or what, how, you know, how did these values come to be? And they said basically Utah and Chicago did us all a favor by making that trade and setting up the value. Because, I mean, how weird was it that the Red Stars – traded allocation money to move up from four to five to two to three, and then traded out of both of those picks. I mean, that's a really strange scenario. And we did the draft review last week, of course, but I don't know. It's uh, it's very unusual stuff. Well, that Orlando pick, they, or that Orlando trade, Chicago seemed to just fleece Orlando. Uh, well, I guess, know, so I think, it, 
it comes back to how desperate the one of the parties is. Yeah, I think they keep figured. raising the price until they back out, just like any yeah. sort of negotiation. And I think that depends on how good Korniak is. That's Orlando seemed to really want her, and they they got her. Cat got the cream, right? That's what, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and look, I don't said. I don't know how good Korniak is, but the, you know they're down a twenty twenty one pick already, first round pick to Chicago, and you, I know I just don't think you can survive in this league unless you are Portland and you can get players to come in like Henri. And, you know, we'll see if they get, what is it, Diani they're supposed to get from France. Unless you can get those players in, you have to survive. You have you need the draft to survive. And even Portland now, twice in five years, they've traded up for the first pick overall. Well, that's the thing that Chicago benefits by having stability, having a coach in there as long as they have. It, they can think long term, which means they can take advantage of teams that need to win right now. Orlando needs to win next year. They need to, to turn the ship around a little bit so you can take advantage of a team like that. You also have to wonder, a guy like Mark Skinner, I don't know who made the final call on this trade, but you sometimes look at a guy like Mark Skinner. He's probably thinking, you know what, I need to win in 2020. I don't care about the 2021 exactly. first round pick. It's exactly. not going to benefit me unless we win. And this is how Houston ended up in the position they're in, where they have no picks and no value, and they're they're just stuck. Like you get to a point where you've made these these short term deals over and over and over at a deficit that you get to a point where I don't know how some of these teams turn around. And it's not that they can't, because obviously we saw the Spirit, you know, pull a pretty big 180 last year, and it looks like Sky Blue is over a two year period going to pull. Uh, perhaps one of the more, you know, uh, unbelievable uh, turnarounds that we've seen. But, man, you, you keep making these deals that hurt you in the long term. Somebody's going to get holding the bag on these. Yeah, and unless the courage or the and the thorns and the red stars kind of go the wrong way, I, it's hard to see a path into the top three or four for these teams. Yeah. Like you mentioned. Now, John, what did you make of the Pew trade? Because Chelsea and I talked Pew trade last week. What were your initial thoughts on that one? You know, I, I guess I can understand it from Washington's side if they are convinced that they were going to lose her a year from now. But I, I, I'm not sold on Sanchez. Uh, I'm not sure that, that she's going to end up being anywhere near the player um, that – Pew is right now, and I think Pew's Pew's ceiling, I think, is through the roof. I don't think we've probably seen even 40% of what she can do. You know, if she really knuckles down, I think she could be one of the all-time greats. Um, so that, I don't know. I didn't. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense. I know Washington got some value out of it in terms of not only getting Sanchez, but getting some other picks in the future, too. So, Maybe they're just thinking long term on that one, but uh, I was a little surprised to be honest. And they wanted great for Sky Blue. Yeah, Sky Blue had to do the deal. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And the the spirit wanted Sanchez, so in that regard, I don't think they settled. It's a matter of did they make the right analysis? Yeah. Because I was kept asking around, like, why would you allow Sky Blue to trade down and then make that deal for the four pick instead of insisting that you get the two or the three pick? And all I kept hearing was. The, Spirit got the player they wanted. 
So that's who they wanted. That's great. It seems like everybody got who they wanted. The Thorns <laughs> wanted Weaver, right? Orlando wanted Corniak. Nobody's going to walk Sanchez. off and be like, yeah, we definitely didn't want these players. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's true. But, I mean, in terms of the trades, I think everybody – you know who I don't think necessarily got who they wanted? I don't get the sense the Courage got who they wanted. I think they're happy with who they got, but I think they were hoping when they moved into that sixth pick that something else would happen, and it never did. Just a hunch. Just a hunch. Chelsea, you still on the same path with the Pew trade and everything else? Any, any new thoughts? Uh, no, I think I pretty much summed it up last can week. I just, yeah, go can ahead. I just add with Sky Blue, like overall, and I know you guys probably said this, and I know everybody said it on Twitter, but not, not only picking up Pew, but Purse, McCall's or Boney, they got real. Uh, they traded for Onamanu. I mean, good God. Like, they have really just picked up some nice players over the past week and a half. They have. I still don't know who plays center back for them, and I don't want Purse and Dorsey to be the outside backs. It sounds like that's going to happen. And then, Right, they might have to be, but they yeah. are certainly a lot better, and I think they'll have a lot more. I think Zerboni will give them a lot more bite. And I think that, you know, look, I'm not – I don't think they're a playoff team at the moment, but I don't think they are a, hey, it's June and they haven't won a game for the third year in a row. I don't, I don't think we're heading down that, that path anymore. And I think Carly Lloyd, honestly, is the type of player that the better players you put around her, the more she'll respond to that. Yeah. And I, You know, but look, I do think Pew need Pew's got to take a step forward. Pew's got to stay healthy. We'll do the U.S. roster after the ne- in the next segment. But Mallory, I think Mallory Pugh is a player. She would do so well not making that Olympic roster if she could just yeah. stay in the same environment week after week and just learn how to dominate NWSL players every week because it hasn't happened yet. Well, we've got to see if Coombs the the right coach to take her forward too. Like we don't really know that much about her as a coach. You know, she only coached the tail end of the season, so. Yeah, they got better when Denise Reddy left, but they got better before Coom got there, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just that once Denise Reddy left, some of the tension rose out of the building. Um, and, you know, Coom talks like a coach who has a lot of good ideas, but everyone does until, uh, you know, until you get outcoached on week one. Did you see that Ben Stiddy said that they might not play? Because you always joke about you want to see the coach who says it's okay to play long ball or <laughs> Did not he actually play, say that? He didn't say that specifically, but he said something about not being tactically, I don't know what it was, but uh, I think he recognizes that there might be something a little bit different about this league and that he can't try to be Barcelona. Uh, it was interesting. It made me pause. Very interesting. All right, so we'll talk about him. We'll talk about the U.S. roster and if we have any questions in the queue from the hashtag EQZ pod with John and Chelsea. This is Dan episode 93 of the equalizer podcast. Third and final segment episode 93 equalizer podcast, Dan Lawletta with Chelsea Bush and John Halloran time for the equalizer soccer sports reference stat of the week brought to you by our friends at sports reference. Check out their ever growing catalog of women's soccer statistics at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. Retiring this week was Bianca Henninger, who has had a really fascinating NWSL career, most of it sitting behind other goalkeepers. But Henninger started off as the backup 
in Kansas City. She was an expansion draft selection to the Houston Dash. She got waived a couple of times, wound up with 22 appearances, 21 starts, shade over 1,900 minutes, won six of those games, just 6-11-5. A lot of it for Houston. It was not a very good team. Did have six clean sheets, also five caps for the Mexican national team. Uh, but a, a good soldier, as you will, as the backup goalkeeper and uh, and will be missed. Bianca Henniger retiring after seven years in the NWSL as the backup. And I don't know how many times and before I get to that question, uh, that's the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference stat of the week. Brought to you by our friends at Sports Reference. Check out their catalog of women's soccer stats and line at fbref.com. But how many times, guys, did we hear... We're lucky because Bianca Henniger would be the starting goalkeeper for every other team in this league but ours, and it's great to have two real starting goalkeepers. Everyone says that about their backup, but you had to feel bad for how often Henniger got stuck behind Nicole Barnhart and Jane Campbell. These They just never came out of the lineup, and she didn't really play that often. All right. U.S. national team roster for qualifying um, – I think it dropped like right as Chelsea and I were recording the podcast in Baltimore last week. Obviously, the big story there again is Mal Pugh, who is going to travel with the team. Uh, Chelsea, any any other thoughts on how that roster came down? I mean, I think the one that's kind of odd that I feel like it's maybe because Pugh had a rough 24 hours or so and she kind of became the big news. But we're not talking about Casey Short not making that roster. And... That's a good call. I'm like, am I crazy or <laughs> no, it's, nobody it's was good, responding? You know, I got in a Twitter argument with someone because someone said, "How did you? How do you take Sonnet and not Short?" And I and I always say, you know, you you can't question that without being there. You know, there haven't been any league games since Andonovsky took over, but I think it's a valid point because I thought Short's uh, mark was going in the upward direction, and maybe she's not a great camp player. I don't know, but yeah, I think it's kind of alarming. John, you're the you know Chicago perspective. Yeah, no, I think is the she. You could make an argument that she's the best pure outside back in the entire pool, um, because Dunn obviously is not a natural outside back, and that's not a knock on her. I think she's fantastic when she plays there for the U.S. O'Hara, you know, is I guess an outside back, although I don't think we've even seen her on a run at, at club to know. Because she's been used as a forward in the league too, and again, she's fantastic. That's, that's not a knock on her, but you know, a lot of these players get moved around. Short is one of the only ones who consistently plays outside back. Sonnet usually plays center back. Krieger plays center back a lot in the league. Um, and again, you you look at that current roster, and Short is is right up there with them. And I would say that she did have a better season than than Sonnet did. Oh, by, by far. And on the well, club yeah. level, she probably had a better season than Krieger just because Orlando was so bad. But I also wonder if maybe that, especially on a, when you're talking Olympic roster where you have a, a limited number of players, if yeah. maybe that kind of hurts her in a sense. It you might because Sonnet and Krieger can play center back. So, But I would still argue, because we've seen Casey Short play in the center. I would yeah. still argue that Short in the center, that's not great, but it's better than Sonnet outside. I think Sonnet is – Frankly, a really bad outside back. I, I thought that was a bizarre move from Ellis. I don't think we've seen anything to back that up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's weird. But I also – and, you know, maybe this is a case of, hey, I know what you can do. I'll bring you back in for She Believes or something, but I want to look at these players and kind of trying to narrow it down. But 
Lacklist comments on why other players were left off kind of indicated it was a performance thing. And I'm starting to wonder, and if this continues, if she doesn't actually make the Olympic roster, which I never really thought I would say, you know, we have to start considering what we're missing that two players in a row would have, you know, would have not rated her for some reason. Because we've seen her play for the U.S., we've seen her play for the league, and she's been fine, more than fine. She's been great. So I'm I'm wondering if there's something we're missing. We all thought she was making the World Cup roster, didn't we, until the roster came out? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised because they only brought they only brought seven defenders for four spots, and they brought seven forwards for three spots, and that was always the the math that I never quite understood. And you know, it was good that O'Hara managed to to make it all the way to the last forty five minutes before getting hurt, yeah, because they could have been in real trouble. And especially um, because Dunn is a defender on the national team who could easily be a forward, and they didn't have anybody to go the other way. So that made yeah. it even more awkward, the numbers game there. But again, you know, Jill, Jill probably just like um, just like Blacko has indicated that Ertz could play center back too, which we all know she's more capable of. She could, but she's so good well, for them in the, in the middle. She did so, play yeah. center back in the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, that's true. She's so good in midfield for them. I would so, ar- argue, though, too, that Haran surprised me a bit with how well she played as a number six in the World Cup when she was when she was put in there. So I think that's probably an option that, that at least I certainly overlooked. Now, isn't she believed 23 again? Yeah, I think so. So, that, so we'll actually get to bring more players in. So you figure Short and Pew get in for she believes. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Guess. We don't know yet that this is kind of – this is the 20 that he's going to choose his 18 from. It just kind of, judging by what he said about other players, kind of indicates that he took what he thought were the best 20, which I think is really, really interesting. And I think the players that got the death sentence are close to it are Long and Morgan Bryan because he said that he gave them things that he wanted them to work on in the league, but they're not going to have more than three or four games until he's got to name a roster. So Yeah, and, and they're not – Gotten it close. They're not training with the team like Pew is. Pew seems to be the right. only one that's, you know, so she seems to be more bubble than uh, than those. Which, and it's honestly, none of those three are surprising to me. I thought Short to me was a surprising one. Was it surprised that they took Sullivan though to you over Long and Brian? Because that look, Andy Sullivan's a great player, but for them to bring her over those two other players was surprising to me. I don't know she had a really really good season. She did. Um, and and I she's think, a great player, but boy, you just don't see that. I mean, again, it's a new coach, and it's kind of a new cycle. If you you know if you're counting this as the beginning of the 2023 cycle, so maybe you want to freshen things up. But you just usually don't see outsiders kind of push push longtime veterans out. At least you know again, again, this is one roster, but without being there, it's hard to really say. Maybe she just wowed everybody. Yeah. Um, do you think he had to make a change for change's sake? You know, like, do you think it just would have – because we all thought Short was the one in, and then we'll see who else had to fall out. But do you think there was something in the back of his mind that said, I can't just take 20 World Cup players, I've got to do something a little different here? No, I don't – Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so. I don't, I don't get that vibe from Vlatko as needing to necessarily put a stamp on it. Um I just he just doesn't seem the type to do that. Lynn Williams is another one that I was a little bit surprised 
um, for for a similar reason. Like this, as Chelsea mentioned, like this is an Olympic roster. You got to pare it down, and he still brings six forwards. And Williams, to me, is best as a pure number nine. And you've already got Lloyd and McDonald who can play that role. McDonald is another one that I'm surprised made it. I would have thought McDonald was one of the first first off from the World Cup roster. But again, Mor- still Morgan gonna... getting pregnant, probably. Yep. Yeah, yep. Helped her. Helps. But he also has to trim two players from if if you say, well, this is the starting point. He's still, this is twenty. He's still got to go down to eighteen. Um, I, I think true. Williams is is an interesting one. I've never thought she could really do a whole lot on the international level, but it could. You know, sometimes under a different coach, things change. If he can unlock her finishing ability. That... Do you, Do you think maybe I had this thought today that maybe Williams got brought in to play wide. I don't think it's like necessarily the best thing, but maybe they're by not bringing Pew, they wanted Williams out there as another option out wide to run it, run it outside backs. Wouldn't, I mean, I can understand why you would be tempted to do that. I don't necessarily think it would be the best idea either. She certainly got the speed. She's not even a bad distributor. It's just kind of not the way she, she plays. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to watch because there's got to be something interesting about these qualifying games. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the downside is it's going to take a lot for anyone to look really awful. Honestly, yeah. no offense to any other team, it's just there's there's such a large gap there. And even I would say until they, I'm assuming it, they're going to meet Canada in the semifinals or the final or something. At some point they'll meet Canada, but even then, if they play in the final, it doesn't matter. They'll be both in the Olympics, and that's really what you're there for. They're gonna, and they'll, you know, they'll say, "Well, it's a final. We take it." Yeah, seriously. yeah. Of course you do, but you know, you'd rather get. You know, the goal is to get in the Olympics. I was at the uh, the last U.S. Canada Concacaf final, and I'm not sure either team really cared a whole lot. <laughs> they were there. They played. One team won. Yeah, but they were both in. It. I was yeah. at the qualifiers in 14 for the 15 World Cup. And it was the weirdest thing because the U.S. won and um, I, who did they beat? Was it Costa Rica that maybe beat TNT in the penalties? And so it was going to be Mexico and Trinidad and Tobago in the third place game for the third CONCACAF spot in the World Cup. And all the press people are like, oh, the U.S. and Costa Rica will be available at the hotel for availability ahead of the final. And I'm like, who cares about the final? <laughs> We can't want to know who's going to the World Cup. I don't care who wins the final. All right. But, right? Am I wrong or what? No, you're wrong on a sporting level, but we, I think we all know that with the and, U.S., it, that it just doesn't work that way. Like, and on an American level. That's yeah, why just, our soccer leagues have trophies and championships and not just the shield. This is why, like, a U.S. women's game against a terrible team will still sell about the same amount of tickets as it does for a really good game versus yeah, when you, the US yeah, the US men will sell 70,000 tickets when they play Brazil because everybody's there to watch Brazil right. but it'll sell 10,000 or 8,000 when they go to play, you know, some CONCACAF team that nobody cares about. Like the the women's draw I think is is very tied into the players. Not necessarily, you know, the results are what make the team, you know, excel and be and be this high profile thing. But I think a lot of fans get drawn into attachment, 
you know, as we see yeah. on Twitter all the time to certain that's players. League, that's a league problem too, is that the league needs more fans that are loyal to the crest and not loyal to the players that are coming yeah. in and out of yeah, it. Yeah, and listen, the people buying these tickets, a lot of them are casual fans that are only going to buy tickets when the U.S. comes around. And these are the games they love because they get a bunch of goals to cheer for. Yep. Yeah, wrong with that. Unless you get too many goals, get too many goals, then you're a leading well, story on no, the evening news. For, it's only if you celebrate them. Like you just many. kind well, of yeah. score okay. them, that's great. But you can't celebrate. All right, a couple of questions here. We'll run through them kind of quick. Whoa, so whoa. Which non-U.S. CONCACAF team is in the best shape as a program? I, mean, I, I guess it's Canada, Canada but they're by trending default. down too. It's, it's default there, too. Yeah. Uh, Jay Lorch fan, how many players will be allocated? Who will be added and dropped? Uh, John, this is kind of your wheelhouse. Do you know what the number is supposed to be? I know whatever it is, it's already done, just not announced. Yeah, and I, I was kind of looking at last year's list, and, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I think Short and Zerboni were allocated, and I think people probably forgot about that. So I would imagine that they're they're going to probably drop off that list. Um, Zerboni for sure. Yeah, and then you know, then there's some other ones you don't know. Does does Pew get deallocated? Um, does Sonnet? Does does Ali Long? Does Morgan Bryan? Um, those are all players I think that we're seeing right now, or at least in in Vlatko's fringe range. Um, so you, you, those are the players that I would keep an eye on. And Morgan, I think, has to be allocated again. I think yeah, because I think of the so. yeah because this is because uh, doesn't one like how Amy Rodriguez kind of kept being allocated for a while right and they, but and they don't get an extra spot because like she's one of the X number of spots yeah goes to Morgan all right Jackie no, no, Gelf go ahead I was just gonna say you look at players coming in I would say Krieger she wasn't allocated last year if she continues Can't to go to the Olympics again. I'm just Never thinking know, of. But, Who's in and maybe Sullivan if she again if she's yeah. in his plans? That's a good call yeah, too. There were twenty two last year. It was done in December though. So anything that happened like in this camp, I think is not a doesn't affect anything. All right, Jackie Golfus. Um, hope I got that pronunciation right. Why are some of the U.S. players who weren't named to the Olympic qualifying roster still training with them this week while others are not? Um, that's a good question. I think probably Pew is a young player, and they're trying to keep confidence high. Just speculating there, but you can't take everybody. Uh, Ethan's got a good one. When do we think we will start to see some international signings in the NWSL? And it's a good question because I really think that however this allocation money thing turns out, if we don't get one or two big splashes, then I don't think it matters what the other money is used for. I think if the Thorns bring in Diani, maybe the Royals get somebody, then I don't. I think it's going to be much less of the deal if that happens. If you get bottom rung teams acquiring money to pay bills, that's my opinion. You know, we we heard about this a little bit at the draft. Some of the coaches and, and maybe even one or two of the owners seem to um, kind of pontificate that buying these players in in June wasn't necessarily a good use of their money because they were only getting half of a season out of them. Yeah, that's valid. Um, Jackie, again, do you have an explanation, origin story for the different NWSL team hashtags? Um, Chelsea, this sounds like something you should write up for the site. What do you think? <laughs> Is it because I'm the, <laughs> the millennial here? Um, throwing it out there. I, uh, 
I don't. Right. I know MKOT is my kind of town for Chicago. I don't honestly pay much attention to that. Yeah, stuff. I don't know who. I know what the, the, they mean. Um, I want to say Portland because I, I feel like I've read a story about it out there somewhere that I think a fan came up with it before the inaugural season. I think that was like a something that they put out there and maybe a riveter came up with it and, and they voted on it. Something like that. I want to say the other is I, I think the teams just come up with them and. Although there was one I put in the question, I think it was the Scoperp. I think that was one of the players themselves. And I, may have I don't even know what that. that is. I've never heard that. But what is that? Never heard of that before in my life. Well, that's Orlando's, isn't it? Or one of Orlando's? They have a couple. I will take your word for it. I don't know. Now you're making me question myself. No, not you. One thing that everyone should know who's listening is that I am the least cool person. No matter who's on the pod, I'm the least cool one on here. <laughs> should we get your daughter on to confirm that? That I'm the least cool person? Yeah. She would be more than happy to confirm that. <laughs> Trust me on that. No, I, I think the teams, in the, for the most part, I think the teams come up with them as something that they feel is catchy. and Or you have, like, the Dash, where they had Dash on, and Amber Brooks was like, no, let's spice this up a little bit. Dash the, the F on. <laughs> All right. Hannah Bezo, what's y'all's opinion on how CONCACAF has been handling televising the qualifiers? Terrible, obviously, because they're not going to do it. Big fat. Um, I don't know. Twitter, I feel like Fox Sports, somebody said that Fox Sports might have picked it up, finally. Grant Wall well, reported that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, my, my bad. I'm a, missing that, but it's, it's a still big fat too late. for me. I don't, like, it's great if they pick it up, but I don't need it picked up three days beforehand out of pity. It should, it should be on, period. And if nobody's going to televise it, then why can't somebody jump in and just televise the U.S. games? If CONCACAF isn't airing them themselves, then someone should be able to just come in on their own and air the U.S. games, I would think. But who knows? All right, Gen G.O., I listened to a Kate Markgraf interview. It got me thinking about U.S. midfield for 2023. Well, it's super hypothetical three and a half years out. How much might change or any of the four regular starters, Ursula Valmuez, Haran, likely to retire? Can Sullivan break in? None of those four should retire, right? I mean, you never, the only thing is you never know, uh, in the women's game when someone's going to pull a Lauren Holiday and decide, I just want to have kids and not play soccer anymore. But those are four young players. Can Sullivan break in? I think we've covered that and that she absolutely can. Anything different? I would think say those... that, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna, I, I think that what they do at Tokyo this summer may have an impact in that. It's, a lot easier to go out if you've kind of that may be the last one. You know, all these players they have their World Cup. Maybe if they get that Olympic gold, it makes it a little bit easier for them to say, okay, you know what, I've I've won everything. I'm going to do what Lauren Holiday did and, and kind of go out on top. I was uh, just going to add that we we forget about this a lot because of how young she was when she started in 2015. But Morgan Bryan's only 26 years old, so yeah, she certainly good. has another cycle if she wants it. Good call. Jano, thoughts on which team in the NWSL has the best chance to dethrone the Courage this season? I kind of feel like this question is not about who can be better than the Courage, but who is better, who's got the best matchup to beat the Courage in a playoff game? Because at the moment, I think the Courage are head and shoulders the best. As to who can beat them, honestly, I, I don't know. I, you know, I think we'll, the Thorns are Changing, I'm not sold on it. The Red Stars are changing. I'm not sold they're going to score enough. I don't know. I got the rain dropping way down this season. I honestly have no idea. I think the Courage are humongous favorites right now to win it again. It's whichever coach attended 
Laura Harvey session <laughs> on right. how to break down a box midfield at the draft. That's the key. Although there she said know. herself she didn't know if it would work. Oh, goodness. Well, she might have said it hasn't worked yet. Hey, she beat him. She did. She did. Um, all right. Uh, Ann, Ann, I never understood why Orlando did so poorly last year. Even when the World Cup players were back, they had superstars. Marta Morgan, Krieger, and Harris, plus other good players. Also, what does their future look like after the draft? Um, I don't know if I would call Krieger and Harris superstars in terms of their on-field performance. I thought Morgan was awful. Um, they just were not good. They, they're defending. They gave up a bad goal a game at least. Um, after the draft, I don't know. Did anybody was anybody think their draft was good? We talked about the Corniak thing that they put a lot of eggs in that basket. I mean, I think that they got some some good players. Um, and actually, Harvey agreed with me because we happened to discuss that when she recorded her pod with the Equalizer. I don't know that it's enough to to push them in the right direction enough. And I thought you you look at those those players, and I think none of those are in their prime anymore. They're, they they may have been superstars on the field at one point or another, but none of them are where they were. Even Alex Morgan, and now she's and I agree she was awful, and she's not going to be there this season at least for the majority of it. So there was just too many players that that were really bad. Yeah, and I think you know they traded Weatherholt to the Rain for what did they trade it for? A pick next year, I think, second round pick maybe. I think Weatherholt's a good example of a player who was really bad this year and could wake up and be really good, but probably the right move to get her somewhere else. Uh, the Mandalorian didn't like that we didn't uh, talk about Rain FC draft picks last week. Sorry to disappoint you. And thoughts on Rain FC coaching hire. Not ignoring this question, but I'm going to defer it a week for a couple of different reasons. Uh, but it is absolutely a topic worth discussing on this podcast, and we're not going to ignore it or run from it. And last one from Sarah. Can anybody tell me why Australians are dropping like flies from the NWSL? Is it because teams have allocation money and want to use international spots on bigger, better players? Doesn't explain Ford or Rasso who have green cards or are Aussies choosing to leave. Really interesting question. Um, I think Ford and Rasso had a little bit of a falling out in Portland last year. Um, as far I mean, who else is left? The Yeah, that's a good question. The... Um, her and Legarzo. Right. It was Legarzo the one that accidentally got put on the list and the, uh, <laughs> yes. Orlando picked her up. Oh, yeah, it's a good, it's really good question. <laughs> I have a theory um, that they've they've had a couple of disappointing tournaments back to back now, and and these were tournaments where they were, I feel like particularly the Olympics in this last World Cup where they were they were picked to be like okay this is going to be their best tournament ever, and and then they didn't. And I feel like some of those players really took that as a wake up call. Like I need to to get out of my comfort zone, um, just to do something that's different, up their game a little bit. Um, I, I'm a big fan of the W League. I've been very open about that, but I've also been very open about the fact that I don't think it's going to make any of those current Matildas better. It may be great for some of the up-and-comers, and I think it's great for NWSL players who don't regularly start in NWSL, but I don't think it's going to make Sam Kerr or Caitlin Ford or Haley Razzo or Chloe Lagarzo any better than they already are. And... I agree with what you said in Portland. I think, you know, Ford was, she was benched by the end of it for sure. And I just, I just think that they needed a kick in the pants. And it seems like the, the FAWSL is opening, you know, walking in with open arms. I think it might fit better with their international calendar too. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially in a year like this and when they're going to be all, you know, the Olympics are all the way in Japan. So that's no easy commute from here, from really many places, but certainly not easy if you're over here. So uh, thanks, guys, and thanks for the um, flexibility with the schedule today. That's just a little insight video there. But um, we will be back next week. Super Bowl week, by the way. So think about as you're taking in all the Super Bowl coverage, what elements of that can we kind of suggest or hope that NWSL can adopt for the NWSL championship? But for John and Chelsea, you've been listening. Go ahead. What's up? Keep an eye out for the NWSL in the, the Super Bowl ads, right? Uh, We've all seen I, the Budweiser ad? Uh, I have not. Well, you're not on social media enough. <laughs> I'm, the, I, I'm the least cool person on here. Yes. But I will keep my eyes open. I will be watching the Super Bowl. All right. Uh, for Chelsea and John, I'm Dan. This has been Episode 93 of the Equalizer Podcast. <laughs>